The following episode contains mature themes and language that may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Courtney Lake was a 24-year-old mother from the small province of Newfoundland, Canada, whose disappearance has yet to be solved and remains an open police investigation. Welcome to True Crime Worldwide, a podcast where we cover cases all around the globe. I'm your host, Annika, and you're listening to episode 5. Today, we're looking at the unsolved disappearance of Courtney Lake. Courtney grew up in St. Lawrence, Newfoundland, where she lived with her parents and brother. Her parents got a divorce when she was still young, though I couldn't find an exact age. She moved to Mount Pearl a few years after that, a drastic change from her small hometown. Mount Pearl is in the area of the capital of Newfoundland, St. John's. She lived around St. John's, Mount Pearl, and Paradise, the main cities of the province. This was the exact opposite of the environment she had grown up in. Her parents reported that she remained close with both of them, despite their relationship with each other having ended. After she moved, Courtney went back to St. Lawrence for some kind of event. She met a man named Jason Pike while she was still a teenager, and the two began having relations. At some point during this, it resulted in their son being born, Oliver. Jason and Courtney didn't end up staying together. She lived in the city, and he had remained in St. Lawrence, with the rest of Courtney's family as well. She was known as a free spirit, and many people reported she was not the most stable person in the world. According to Jason, she was most of the reason that their four-year relationship had eventually ended. In an interview, he was quoted saying, It had a lot to do with personal demons of hers. And when a child got put into the mix of all of that, things got a little more tumultuous, I guess. Unquote. Apparently, the two had no hard feelings with each other, but Oliver lived full-time with Jason, as he actually had full-time custody, which is very rare for a father to have. All parties seemed satisfied with the agreement. In 2017, Courtney met a man named Philip Smith. He was an army reservist, and known to have not the best reputation. Things started out smoothly, but they began to quickly decline. It became very toxic, where the two were always fighting, and this escalated into Philip threatening Courtney. Though she never actually did anything about this, and had never reported him to the authorities at this time. It became abusive as well soon after the threats started. She eventually cut the tie between the two of them, officially breaking up. Their relationship hadn't lasted very long, and Philip was not happy about the breakup. On April 15th, 2017, Philip assaulted Courtney. She had been trying to escape from his pickup truck after he offered her a ride somewhere, and he had punched her twice. She managed to get away without any serious injuries, though this was still a terrifying incident. Lisa Lake, Courtney's mother, called the police two days later on April 17th to report the assault. 
I'm not sure if anything came of this, but I do know both of them were furious. In early May of 2017, Courtney reported to the authorities that Philip had shared private and intimate photos of her with another man without her permission, which is a horrible invasion of trust and privacy, but also another means of control and something many abusers do, or they threaten to do this to keep the victim under control. On May 5th, 2017, Philip's own sister actually called the police to report that she was concerned about his well-being. An officer used GPS tracking on Philip's phone to find him sitting in his truck alone, but Philip drove away when he was approached. He was later found in a second location and placed in handcuffs. They moved him to a healthcare facility where he resided for four days. Courtney took advantage of the time Philip was incapacitated, and while he was hospitalized, she took out a peace bond against him. And for anyone wondering what a peace bond is, much like I was while researching this case, it is a protection order made by the court under Section 810 of the Canadian Criminal Code. It is used when an individual, the defendant, appears likely to commit a criminal offense, but there are no reasonable grounds to believe that an offense has actually been committed. Any person who fears that another person may injure them, their spouse, or common-in-law partner, or a child, or may damage their property even, may obtain a peace bond. Breaching any conditions in the peace bond is a criminal offense and, of course, can result in fines or jail time both depending on the offense. Peace bonds can be enforced anywhere in Canada and can be in place for one year. If the threat persists after one year, the peace bond can be renewed by application to the court. Obtaining one can take several weeks or months, so they do not deal with immediate emergencies, but Courtney's only took a matter of days. The conditions of a peace bond are similar to that of a restraining order. And to my knowledge, the main difference in Canada is that a restraining order can only be taken out against a family member, but a peace bond can be taken out on anyone. On May 8, 2017, Philip appeared in court to dispute this peace bond, but he was rejected based on the previous reported assault from Lisa. About a month passed without incident, but on June 5, 2017, Philip decided to ignore the peace bond that said no contact whatsoever. He attempted to contact Courtney 33 times. He even went as far as to drive to her house. He was not allowed to drive anywhere but work and home at that point in time. Courtney called the police on him, but Philip was gone by the time they arrived at the scene. Two days later, June 7th, Philip appeared in court again for multiple offenses. He pleaded guilty to three charges and was convicted of a fourth. First, he pled guilty to assaulting Courtney and to knowingly publishing, distributing, transmitting, selling, or making available an intimate image, knowing that the person depicted did not give their consent. Second was the assault of Courtney. The third thing he pled guilty to was a ton of driving-related charges. Finally, he was convicted of breaching the peace bond and trying to contact both Courtney and Lisa. He was sentenced to two days time served for this. 
Upon leaving the courthouse, Philip was given a probation order to stay away from Courtney and Lisa. To be honest, hearing that sentence infuriated me. And maybe it's just that hindsight is twenty twenty. But the fact that this man pled guilty to assaulting a woman and then was convicted of breaking a peace bond and all he got was two days of already served jail time is absolute and complete bullshit. It should have been clear that this man was probably going to go on and hurt Courtney even more and he should have been held for longer than he was. But I suppose we'll never know what that could have changed. Now, let's talk about the day of the disappearance. On June 7th, 2017, the same day Philip appeared in court, Courtney and Jason took Oliver to his weekly swimming lesson at Mew Community Center in St. John's, which is right next to Mount Pearl where she lived. Jason then dropped Courtney off at her mother's house, where they spent the remainder of the afternoon with her family before returning to her own house. She was later spotted on video surveillance footage picking up a few items at an Esso gas station on Elizabeth Avenue in St. John's. Later, at 7.52pm, she was spotted leaving her home, and at 7.54pm, she was seen getting into the truck of Philip Smith, which he later admitted to picking her up. This was only four hours after the end of his court hearing, where he was ordered to have no contact with the Lake family. And this was the last time Courtney Lake was ever seen. It's unclear when exactly she was reported missing, but when RNC, or the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary, were notified that she had not returned home, they began their investigation immediately. They began with interviewing Courtney's friends and family, including Jason, who allowed forensic investigators to search his vehicle, and he was cleared after this. They looked into many other leads, but nothing was solid enough for them to go off of, and the case began to hit a dead end. On June 27th, police arrested Philip for entering a place that was serving alcohol, which was against his probation. He was placed in police custody. A day later, authorities got a warrant and searched Philip and his father's property. It has yet to be released to the public if anything came of this search, though they did set up surveillance in the area. They took a number of items, including Philip's truck, but that was later returned to him, which we could only assume meant there was no evidence in it, and it was clean. On June 30th, Courtney's case was changed from missing persons to a homicide, and as a result, were concerned for her safety and had referred the case to the major crimes unit. They also shared they'd identified more than one person of interest, and during this press conference is when they released the security footage of Courtney leaving her home and getting in the truck with Philip. As she entered, the truck swung back around and drove in the opposite direction from where she was picked up, in the area of Lindbergh Crescent and Ruth Avenue. During a search of Patty's Pond on July 2nd, searchers came across an item that was later confirmed to have belonged to Courtney. On August 9th, Philip was sentenced to 90 days due to the drinking charge, with only 24 days left because of time served already. He got out after only 16 days on good behavior and was given a one-year driving probation. 
About a month later, he was discharged from the military due to his growing list of convictions, eight years after he joined the Army Primary Reserves. During this time, an administrative review was conducted to decide what the next course of action would be and whether he would be officially discharged from the military. This case took a turn for the worst on October 31st. Philip called a member of his family and said he was going to kill himself. This member called the RNC who began searching for him. At 3.30 a.m. on November 1st, a team of sniffer dogs was being used to search the area around Bellevue Beach, where Philip's family had a cabin. One of these dogs located the body of Philip Smith. The police refused to comment on whether this was a suicide, but later it was declared that he had, in fact, taken his own life. The police took this opportunity to search the area for anything that may have been related to Courtney's disappearance. They came up with nothing. On a side note, according to one of Philip's friends, Philip had been feeling different and off all year since his apparent suicide attempt in May 2017. Lisa also noted that he was to appear in court on November 7th to renew the peace bond against him. In November, a woman's body was found along a wooded trail on the side of Mount Skyo, St. John's. It was thought to have belonged to Courtney until the coroner determined that it was not, in fact, her body. In December of 2017, the police received a tip about Courtney, which resulted in a search of an abandoned farm. The search lasted five days, but resulted in nothing. Since then, this case has gone cold. The police and the Lake family all believe that Philip murdered Courtney. Though he was never officially named a person of interest, police revealed after his suicide that he had been their only suspect. The RNC also stated that Courtney's cell phone hasn't been used since her disappearance, and her bank account has been left untouched. There are really no other theories in this case, and that's all the information the public has. Oliver, Courtney and Jason's son, has taken her disappearance very hard, and Jason believes that there's no way she just up and left, like some people still believe. Courtney's family wants to be able to give their daughter a proper burial, but that has not been able to happen. To this day, her body has not been found. The sources for this episode include justice.gc.ca, storiesoftheunsolved.com, websleuths.com, reddit and cbc.ca thank you all so much for listening i hope you all enjoyed this episode i would really appreciate it if you followed and left a five-star review as it really helps the podcast grow and helps get the word out to other people that we exist this episode was written read and edited by annika penny the intro music was written and produced by ben james who you can find on youtube at B-E-N-J-E-M-I-M-A. The cover photo was taken and edited by Kyle Shao, who you can find on both YouTube and Instagram. True Crime Worldwide is produced by H. Penny Entertainment.